0: A mob takedown from New York to Italy involving the notorious Gambino crime family. And tonight, 10 people have been indicted. Western Cape law enforcement authorities are on high alert following a rise in gang activity and gun violence in recent weeks, especially on the Cape floods. Human traffickers in parts of Southeast Asia have been trawling social media, promising high salary jobs and easy loans only to hand over the international applicants to telecom and online fraud ring. 11 people were killed in Sweden in September alone due to gun violence. Uh, the country, according to him, is now the European capital of gun murder. But with the leaders of the crew thought to be based in Russia, CLOP has continued to make millions extorting organizations around the world. It's Lotto. a China-based cryptocurrency exchange notorious for laundering criminal proceeds from the dark net. Welcome to The Index, a podcast by the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. This series delves into the Global Organized Crime Index and takes a look at some of the biggest threats facing countries and regions around the world. My name is Thin Lai and in this episode of The Index... We'll be discussing a subject that touches on two of the newest indicators in the Global Organized Crime Index cybercrime and financial crime. Now, first things first, when it comes to cyber dependent crimes, Russia tops the list globally. It has a score of 9 out of 10, and it sits 7th for financial crimes, with a score of 8.5 out of 10. Now, there are other countries that also score highly on both of these indicators North Korea, Iran. Mexico, and the UAE. But in this episode, we're going to look specifically at money laundering through cryptocurrency. Chainalysis, a blockchain data platform, has for years studied this issue, from mixers to privacy coins and darknet markets to mining pools. Joining me for this discussion is Jacqueline Coven, the head of Cyber Threat Intelligence at Chainalysis, who works with government agencies, exchanges, financial institutions, and insurance and cybersecurity companies around the world. Jacqueline, welcome to The Index. First off, could you give us a typical example of how illicit money that comes from, let's say, a ransomware attack moves through this ecosystem and then eventually becomes clean?
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. That. The ransomware example is one that we deal with on a daily basis here at Tenalysis. And unfortunately, with more frequency this year, this year is going to be one of the worst years in terms of ransomware payments. So we're seeing more of them and in higher amounts. We have to actually understand that these ransomware strains are operated by individuals. And individuals, whether they're in ransomware or drugs or human trafficking, all have unique laundering patterns or preferred methods of cashing out their crypto, converting their cryptocurrency to cash or fiat. So with ransomware, it's no different. We see ransomware actors, some prefer to use offshore exchanges. A lot of them will also use mixers. We're seeing increased use of mixers. What's clear, though, is that we're not seeing a strong gravitation towards privacy coins, as many may have expected. We do see some ransomware groups that are making demands in privacy coins, but for the most part, it's in Bitcoin. And so we can follow those trails through to exchanges or bridges and mixers. What's also, I think, gives me hope with this ecosystem is that these might be expert hackers, but they're not necessarily expert launderers. And we do see mistakes and easily traceable transactions in a lot of parts of these laundering. What has happened this year, we've seen a slew of sanctions designations as well as takedowns from many of the laundering mechanisms that were central hubs for ransomware, but crimes of all stripes. Criminals are going to go for the paths of least resistance, and often those become centers of gravity for multiple different types of crime. So we have seen some shakeup in terms of the services that they use, but overall, there's just a handful of services that are really facilitating the laundering for these groups.
0: Traditional money laundering networks can encompass many individuals, right? Is that the same also with money laundering using cryptocurrency? You, You spoke a little bit about it just now that, you know, there might be individuals that only provide the service. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: We do see illicit funds go to exchanges at some point. But there are also professional launderers in the underground, so that exclusively market their services to those that are trying to cash out ill gotten gains. And the best example of that, there was a, a launderer that served not only North Korean hackers, but also like Nigerian business email compromise rings. So those become like the focal points for multiple different crime types, multiple geographies, and, you know, frankly, sanctions risk as well. So the beauty of it is that you can trace all of that and it's all visible on on the blockchain.
0: Let's talk about mixes analysis have actually called crypto mixes as the go-to tool for cybercriminals. Can you explain what they are and how they work and also why they are so attractive to cybercriminals?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's something we're going to see only gain more prominence. So last year, we calculated in our crime report approximately 10% of illicit proceeds went through a mixer. I'm sure we'll update the statistic this year. But again, those are also centers of gravity for illicit actors a lot of time. Certainly there are those with legitimate intentions using mixers who just want more anonymity. But essentially what mixers do is they collect and pool different deposits from different users and they jumble it all together. So that's why they're also called tumblers. And it makes it difficult to discern who's pulling funds on the other end. So they'll randomize the outputs, the withdrawals coming out of it. They'll randomize the timing of those withdrawals. And sometimes they even change up the fee structure so that it's more difficult to discern whether a mixer is indeed being used. This core functionality does make it attractive for criminals because they rarely ask for KYC information as well. But I think it's important to know that match analysis, we have had some success in tracing funds through a mixer. And I think mixers are becoming more of an important component of the laundering ecosystem because of that fact we talked about earlier, because Bitcoin is primarily used as the cryptocurrency of the underground marketplaces where you can buy stolen PII and hacking tools and access, as well as the liquidity problem with privacy coins. So, criminals are starting to become more aware of the traceability of cryptocurrency Bitcoin in particular. And so in order to try to throw us off their tracks we are seeing the increased adoption of mixers in a lot of our cases.
0: I actually like you to also follow up on the privacy coins that you've talked about, right? These are coins that have privacy enhancing features because you talked about the fact that, you know, with Bitcoin, it might be easy to trace so with privacy coins, there are ones that are called Monero or Zcash. They have actually been banned in, as I understand it, countries like Japan and Australia. Are you worried that these coins are becoming more common
1: and that they will be more of a concern going forward? Yeah, excellent question. Monero, Zcash, Dash, those are certainly the top three privacy coins. I think Because of the illiquidity of these currencies, I'm truly not seeing it as much as I am Bitcoin in my investigations. And if you're talking specifically about ransomware, it's very hard to acquire that amount of a privacy coin that would be needed for the extortion demand. And so I feel ransomware actors have really gravitated more towards Bitcoin, certainly. Even though these privacy coins are more resistant to tracking than other cryptocurrencies, nothing's completely anonymous either. So advanced tracing capabilities can follow the movement of some privacy coins. But what's also important to note is in addition to countries banning privacy coins, we've actually seen exchanges have delisted them too. Which is like why it's so hard for victims of ransomware to find that liquidity or even criminals trying to find a place where they can convert their privacy coins into another cryptocurrency or cash.
0: And when we're talking about illicit money passing through the exchanges, do they go through all of it or is it concentrated in a select few exchanges?
1: No, I'm I'm glad you asked this question because I know that we spoke earlier about how we do see ransomware being laundered through exchanges at some point. But the majority of exchanges have robust KYC program, robust AML programs, transaction monitoring that will allow them to understand if dirty funds are coming onto their platform or if one of their users trying to send funds to an illicit entity on the other end. So really we are seeing the majority of exchanges, especially around ransomware, are very focused on understanding if they have any exposure to it. So we really have seen a winnowing down of the number of services that illicit actors and and ransomware in particular are using to launder funds. It's really just a handful. And, and this has changed somewhat since some of the designations and takedowns. We've seen the roster has shaken up a little bit, but the number of exchanges is certainly very small. You have mentioned Russia in your opening remarks. There's certainly been a number of actions against Russian-based exchanges that were used for laundering ransomware, cybercrime proceeds, even scam proceeds. And that has caused these actors to adapt and try to find new ways to funnel their 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 money out.
0: Right at the beginning of our conversation, we were talking about how illicit money becomes clean. How and where do crypto criminals convert that now clean money into fiat currency? And who's behind the money laundering services here?
1: Sure. So if they use a regulated exchange the exchange is more than likely going to receive some kind of alert that they've received dirty money on their platform. So these exchanges are where you would convert your cryptocurrency to cash. And I've had the privilege to work with dedicated professionals in the compliance space and cybercrime teams sitting within these exchanges. Many who have come from law enforcement, and they've really made there are exchanges, prohibitive environments for trying to launder dirty money. And in all honesty, I'm really not seeing a lot of the funds that I'm tracing going to these services that have these really robust programs. It's really just a handful of services, many of them offshore, that are not complying with law enforcement and don't have robust KYC AML standards where these funds are finding an easier time to convert to cash. That's actually really good to hear as somebody who
0: actually doesn't really understand fully, you know, the cryptocurrency, but have heard so much about the dangers of it. It's, it's, it's great to hear that there's all these robust regulatory regimes. Last question, and it's a two-parter. How can the cryptocurrency industry better implement sort of compliance measures to combat money laundering? That's the first part. And the second is, do you think the entire industry needs proper regulatory oversight so that they can better protect investors?
1: Yeah, great questions. Again, in my experience, in my case, when we reach out to exchanges, that we are dealing with dedicated professionals in combating illicit use of cryptocurrency. And when there are exceptions, when there are exchanges that are bucking the international norms and standards for combating this issue, the blockchain shines a bright spotlight on those institutions. And what we've seen with some of the designations and takedowns of services that were facilitating laundering is that they rely on the global ecosystem in order to operate. So if you're able to cut them off from the global financial ecosystem with designations or special measures or takedowns, it's practically a business killer, right? So these exchanges, they need have banking relationships, So it really takes the whole ecosystem to be able to impose pressure, impose cost on these services that are facilitating it. But it's really not a secret which services are kind of skirting the system and creating a permissive environment. And so I think the ecosystem as a whole has robust standards, has amazing people fighting crime every day, working closely with law enforcement. And so for the jurisdictions where maybe they need capacity building or maybe tighter regulation to enforce some of these standards that already exist and are being implemented and are having a lot of success. I think that is is really key. There's so much great literature from FADF and global regulatory bodies on identifying and flagging illicit activity. It's only a matter of like a select few jurisdictions and exchanges within those that I think are needing a little bit of help. Great, thank you so
0: much, Jackie. That's all we have time for in this episode of The Index. Thank you to Jacqueline Coven, the head of Cyber Threat Intelligence at Chainalysis. Now remember that in the podcast notes, you'll find links to the country profiles that were discussed in this episode and a link to the Global Organized Crime Index. It's a totally free resource and it's available to everybody. Just head over to ocindex.net. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with another episode soon.